I love the challenge of it, actually seeing if I could do it. You know, test to me, because running a business remotely or from overseas, somewhere like Bali, is a true test of your business, right? Because you have to have systems in place that enable you to do it. I had to come up with a new management structure that enabled my staff to, and it actually made the best business better because it gave people more responsibility, right? Tyron, welcome to the Wild Goose Chase. How are you? Hello. Good, good. Thanks for having me on. Absolute pleasure. So before we get started, who are you and why should anyone care? It's a good question. Uh, Tyron Hyde, I'm the CEO of Washington Brown. I've been in this property business game for about 30 odd years and I save people, save property investors money by reducing their taxable income, Goose. Um, we do depreciation schedule all over the country, but I've also got a lot of insight into property and also how to live your life by design. Awesome. I love that. And that is a thread that I really want to pull on uh, in this podcast episode. Because in the current state of things, and since COVID, a lot of people are starting to become more aware that they have the capability to be able to live life on their own terms, typically, you know, geographically, move to a place they want to, work remote, do all that kind of stuff. But back in 2018, you uprooted your family, you moved from Sydney and moved into the jungle in Bali, all, all whilst managing a, you know, medium, a decent-sized business. And as a CEO, so what I'm interested in understanding is a lot of people would probably, you know, see that kind of decision as being pretty, pretty wild and pretty, pretty kind of hard to navigate. You've got a decent sized business and you're uprooting your family, doing all that kind of stuff. What inspired you to take the leap and break away from conventional expectations and move your family to the jungle? Good question. Uh, and yes, people did think I was mad. Um, so um, the, well, we purely went because, well, we'd always, you know, I've been working in this business for 20 eight years now, nearly 30 years now. And I always wanted, me and my wife always wanted to live overseas at some point. But And she's, she's got Italian heritage, so we were thinking Italy. But the time difference is not that easy to make it work. And then she was reading an article one day in the Sydney Morning Herald on the Saturday in the Good Weekend. And it was about this bamboo school in the jungle called the Green School, which is a fascinating building. And I know you're in Bali and you, sh- you should really check it out. But they, 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 so, but we moved for the Green School. We wanted, a, we wanted a, an adventure. Um, and but mainly it was for the educational system of the green school and the lifestyle there. Uh, we always gonna we we're gonna go for one year, but we ended up staying two. So and how I did it, I, I it was you know it's funny because when we did it, like the staff were like, "What you're going to Bali? You're gonna live in Bali? You're gonna do this?" And not not a lot of people, as you said, had had were doing this kind of stuff then. Um, but we went out and we we went and saw the green school. They had an orientation day at the beginning. But oh, this is good. We could do this. Um, I, you know, you had to check out things like, you know, how is the internet going to go? You know, like, how, is it, like, if, am I going to be able to, to actually physically do it? Uh, so we did um, check it out first, and then we, we decided let's let's have a crack, and we did it, and I don't regret it at all. The school's amazing, and yeah, that was. Um, so, what was happening in your life that actually made you want to do that? Because normally, this kind of a significant change is, I mean, you said you wanted an adventure, but if you, if you asked 100 people on the street, what would they, what do they want? Probably 99 of them are going to say something like travel and do all of this kind of stuff, bit of adventure, things like that. So, what, what, what allowed you, what, yeah, what was the catalyst that actually made you go and do the thing that other people didn't do? A challenge. I love the challenge of it, actually uh, seeing if I could do it. You know, test to me, because 
running a business remotely or from a, from overseas, somewhere like Bali, is a true test of your business, right? Because you have to have systems in place that enable you to do it. I had to come up with a new management structure that enabled my staff to, and it actually made the best business better because it gave people more responsibility, right? They, I put in a, I put in a profit share arrangement with them, with the, with the keys, with the key marketing person, the key sales person, the key production person. And so instead of them constantly asking me questions, they started making decisions themselves more, you know, because I wasn't there. I wasn't adaptable. The moment before I left, I would have 10 people lined up at my office, right, wanting to ask a question. The moment I, when I'm not there, for the first month, it was tricky, right? There was, a, it was definitely very tricky. But then after that, they just started getting used to me. So I would then have slots. Okay. This is when you can speak to me. Right, and it just made the people work smarter. Mm. It's so funny because I, the, what you said there about having ten people lined up at your office waiting to come in to speak to you, ask you questions. I have spoken to other CEOs of you know decent sized businesses, and that is actually something that I've heard reasonably frequently that that when they were in the office, uh, they had literally people lining up to walk into their office to like ask them, hey, what do, what do I do with this thing? That is to me really fascinating because. With Dashdot, we set out from day one to build a business that was going to be 100% remote. So back in 2018 as well, which is really interesting because we started Dashdot in 2018 and that was also when you moved to Bali and then also restructured the business to be in such a way. So sort of, um, obviously, we were a very tiny, 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 tiny organization. You already were a sizable organization at that period of time, which is so there's a big difference. But what's funny to me is I've never had that experience of people like lining up to, <laughs> to come into the office so so Keep it the way you've got it trust me it's better the way you've got you've set it up <laughs> yeah nice <laughs> nice yeah yeah and how did you can i ask a question about the um the profit share we don't have to go into the the, the nitty-gritty details but i have spoken to a few other business owners who are interested in uh helping their team to have a stake in the outcome and be incentivized for the success of the business. How did you think about developing a profit share and kind of what outlines and what lessons could you provide that might help other business owners who are thinking about this kind of thing to, to be able to, you know, give them some structure to think about that in their own business? Yep. Look, I, I, I guess I'm at the point in my life where I don't mind dis, 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 um, discussing these things. Like I, it could be like, you know, but you know what? It's, it's, it's what I did. And what I did was so. In 2007, so it was actually when I actually did it, it was actually the worst time to do it because the tax laws had just changed as well in depreciation, right? And you can no longer claim the depreciation of the secondhand plant equipment item. So here it is. Washington Brown had just turned 40. I just threw a massive party. I hired out the whole of the museum in, in Sydney, I had about 400 guests there to celebrate Washington Brown's 40, 40th party. I just rewrote the laws had changed. I, had to, I, I wrote a book called Claim It. And I had to then rewrite the book called Keep Claiming It because the laws had changed and so the first book became irrelevant. And then so th- and so the business was in a real quandary of whether it's going to survive because at that point, no quantity of value knew whether people would still want our services as much. And so what do I do? I go, oh, stuff it. I'm going to go and live in Bali for a couple of years and test, really test the business. Um, in terms of the structure, what I did was because I didn't know how the uh, what the pro- what the profit was going to be like or the turnover was going to – how dramatically the turnover would change, I said to the key staff, I said, you know what? I'm going to give you a profit share, but here's the, here's the, the, here's the good news. I'm going to give you a profit share, but here's the bad news. The bad news is you're all going to go on $50,000 per annum, including myself. So I put every, all those people on $50,000 and sent, incentivized them via the profit sharing, and it worked a treat. So it wasn't about, you know, it wasn't just, here you go, because here you go, you're on 120. Okay, give me another 10K. Give me another 10K each year, right? Whatever that is. Does that's this wage was better for me? Everyone's on the basic wage, 
including myself, right? So I, I didn't say, oh, no, it's just you. I'm still going to hit my – so everyone was motivated by the proper chair. That's really interesting. Now, you didn't – And it worked. Washington Brown, you didn't start Washington Brown, right? You started there as a cadet. This is not your company. So it is now. That's interesting. Oh, it's, it's been it's been my, okay. So it's been no, it's been my company now for um, uh, twenty years. I, so what happened was, so Washington Brown is forty years old. I've started there as a cadet. I actually, so I actually worked there voluntarily for the first year of the bit for myself because I I went to I went to the I went to uni for two years, did a construction economics degree. I then did I backpacked for three years, and the one thing I learned when I was backpacking. The number one thing I learned about backpacking and working over in the UK was that I didn't want to work for minimum wage ever again, right? So I came back and um, I finished the degree. But at that point, I was 24 years old and I thought I was too old to get in the property market at 24. Can you believe it? So there was an ad at, there was an ad at Sydney uh, at University of Technology for Cadet Wanted. And I, because I felt old, I stole all the ads on the, it wasn't a very good, but I stole all the ads on the, on the, and I was the only one that turned up for the interview. And I said to Tony Brown, who's the Brown in Washington Brown, I said, "Look, let, give me a year. Just let me work here for free for a year. And if you want to, you want me to continue, then you can start paying me." And of course, he loved that. Um, and so we then built the business together. But I started the depreciation side. I wrote my thesis at uni on tax depreciation. Not the most exciting topic, but I love it. Um, but and so that biz, that side of the business kept growing and growing rapidly, more rapidly. We got Meriton as a client, and then Lee, a lot of big clients. And that business grew. And then when Harry, sorry, when Tony wanted to retire, I bought it. I bought him out. That was about 10, 15 years ago. So now I own the whole thing. Yeah, that, that's fascinating. And I'm definitely going to come back to talking more about Bali, but I'm really interested in this as well. That process was that was that effectively? Did you did you do like a leverage buyout, or how did that mechanism work, or was it kind of like a vendor finance type thing where you said, "Hey, give me the wheels and I'll take it over over time," or, or, or you, yeah, talk to me about that. So when I so when I when I um did the uh, uh, I re, uh when I when we we set the company up into two two companies one was doing the cost planning and one was the um, depreciation side of the business so there was two different entities and when I said when I set up the depreciation side I was already fifty fifty share I said to him hey this is a good idea this, this is a business model I think we should go down let's go halves and I'll 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 run it and we'll have we'll halves I'll I'll use I'll try and um, promote it to your clients. But let's go 50-50. When it came to retire, that side of the business was so big and I'd made a fair bit of money out of it. I didn't have to buy it. I just paid him. Gosh, he, yeah. he actually he was such a good man because he knew how much money I'd made him. He uh, he actually – so he owned 50%. He actually said, look, just pay for a quarter of the business. So wow. He a bonus 25% of the business, which is uh, <laughs> wonderful. That said, I made a lot of money good. Yeah, that, nice, <laughs> nice, nice, nice. Yeah, that, yeah. that, is, that is pretty good going. Okay, yeah. cool. Okay, cool. And so going back to the, um, going back to the profit share – um, sorry, was it like a hundred percent profit share distributed between the team, or was it like did you go, uh, okay, of one hundred percent of potential profits, I'm going to allocate fifty percent to the profit share kind of initiative, and then everyone gets a stake in that? Or how, how did you think about that? No, hundred percent profit share. So some people obviously get uh, a higher percentage, especially myself, but it's, so they, they might get say five percent or something. So, but it's five percent of a fairly, fairly big pie. Um, but I think. Yeah, so I, there's about six of them now on it, I think, and so they have different ranges of what they they get depending upon what this what they what the um what what their job, how long they've been there, how important I guess they are to the business. And ha- how I originally worked it out was I said, okay, because I, as I said, the business was in a bit of an unknown space as how 
profitable it'll be moving forward because the laws have changed. I said, well, this is, let's say I watched around made a million dollars. Here's your wage here. That represents a 10% of the of, of the million dollars, right? So I kind of worked backwards and said, well, if it's 50 here, you'll get 5%. So you'll get, and if it, but if it goes up to 2 million, you'll, you'll end up getting double what you've, what you've earned. Does that make sense? So it's, it was based around the past history of what their wage was relevant to the profit then. And then I said, well, moving forward, let's hope that it continues this way or let's make it even better. And everyone's going to win. And it's made it even better, which is pretty good considering there's a lot of less prop- property investors out there. Like I read the other day in the Fin Review that there's like 30% less property investors than last year. Um, but we've grown 40%, which is pretty good for an old company. Mm, that is pretty good for an old company to grow 40%. That's bloody great, actually. Well done. That's that's awesome. Um, and so you've still got that that plan in place with all with those key team members. Have, are they all still the same people that are in the business? That's the average length, the average length of employment at Washington Brown is twelve point seven years. I can't get rid of them, goose. <laughs> That's a good thing. That's a good thing. <laughs> so how has that, how has that structure changed your relationship with the business? And my my assumption is those individuals will be taking on more responsibility. You've kind of implied that already. They're going to be, you know, they're going to be acting like owners. Has that? They are. Freed, has that freed you up? Has that has that changed your? How has that changed your life? It's definitely freed me up. So definitely, like they, they, you know what? Here's one funny thing. So before there wasn't as much focus on the bottom line, right? So they it's just like, oh, let's have, let's all go, let's have a work party to Chris. Let's go skiing, right? And, and let's let's wash around, fund it, and like the, let's go here for Christmas parties. And there's big. Now it's like, oh no, we don't know what to do that. We just want a small Christmas party because I know it affects their bottom line, right? It's funny how when when it's actually hit, hurts your hip pocket, how much um, focus they they've they've zoomed in on the bottom line, just on the top line. So it made them more, you know, more um, yeah, more financially savvy as well. They get access to the books, you know, like I don't hide anything. It's it's an open book, which is good. Um, uh, but it certainly freed up my time to to focus more on the business and uh, and and less on the you know doing report stuff and doing inspections and all that kind of stuff. And the barley definitely helped that. Yeah, nice. And just before we move on from this topic, did you learn that from somewhere? Was there was there something that inspired you to do that or just go, ah, I want to do this, I'm just going to go work it out myself? I came up with the idea myself. And I've actually, funny, whenever I mention anyone, they've gone, that's great. Um, but it was purely because it was back to, it was because the laws had changed and I had no idea. At one point, it was, it was, I was getting calls from my competitors going, what are we going to do? It came out of the blue. Like, what are we going to do? This is like dread. But it hasn't actually affected it that much. Um, we were all a bit shocked. Um, you know, I still don't think it was the right decision by the government, but uh, we're all a bit shocked and th- that that was a catalyst. Well, I don't know. I was like, well, I don't want to – I didn't want to lay off people, right? Because that's not really what I, I – I never – no one wants to lay off people. But I thought, well, how can I still make them – if I if my, if my go – if my profit went right down, well, I – you know, I can't just keep every. I can't. I'm not going to lose money just to keep people on. Well, how about you have a bit of a risk with me, and let's see how we go. You know, let's. So I, that's, that was part of the reason why I put myself on 50k as well, because well, we're all in this together, um, and it worked out brilliantly in the end. But it was a bloody. It was a. It was a. It certainly kept me up at night when it first launched. Yeah, and to tell them as well. Imagine to, like, to tell them, here you go, you're on X Y Z money. Uh, sorry, I'm just going to cut your wage in a third. Are you okay with that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. really fascinating. And so that was around. That was right about the same time as you were moving to Bali, right? Yeah, just yeah, just before. So that was another thing. 
Okay, so throw it all up in the air. Now, this is good. This is really good because the the question I've got next is uh, what I'm trying to unlock is the fact that most people get in their own way. Their limiting beliefs are the things that stop them from creating the life that they want. You obviously found a way through some of those limiting beliefs to create a new kind of management model that worked and then also to move countries and start living life on your own terms whilst also still managing the business because a lot of people think one day I after I've done all this other stuff I will then have the freedom to go do the travel or do the adventure or do the challenge but you did that at that same time so my question is what were some of the limiting beliefs that you had to confront or overcome on your journey to creating a life by design limiting beliefs I guess um well it, it's a very our business is very um technical Right, and so I had to have trust that, like, that the reports were still going to be like. I, so there's certain levels of reporting that I have to that I have to check. So, for instance, if the if a building's worth uh, or, or construction cost is over five million or something, or we have a system where I still check, but I put in a system into place where, well, you know, it, if if it's this level of of hardness within the reporting, it comes to me. So I had to put a system into place where. I only I get to cross check one report a day rather than doing fifty, right? So that was the one thing. So having that belief that I could do that and put all those little checks and balances into place made it made it more comfortable for me to trust the system and the employees and everyone to do that. And I guess that's the that's the one thing that people get would get stuck in that they don't trust the the, the staff enough. However, if you put systems into place that nullify mistakes. That's how you can overcome and live the life that you want to. What about for you, not just in the business? So putting better systems into the business, good. What about for you? What limiting, what limiting beliefs did you have to overcome? Because not many people are sitting in Sydney going, I'm going to uproot my family and move them to the jungle because I found a really nice school that's made out of bamboo. Sounds good. Let's go. So what limiting beliefs did you have to overcome or did you and your family have to overcome? How did you reframe them? What impacted that, and what impact has that had on you since then? Well, so definitely the the limiting belief was um was was all about a daughter. Let's this the, the reason that we went was 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 this the right move for our daughter? Me and my wife knew we'd love her, but she's a bit of an more of an academic. And this school is a bamboo school in the jungle where there's no exams. You wear thongs. There's no homework, and it's hot. There's no air. There's no walls. There's no air conditioning, and you're in Bali, right? Was it the right move for her? Was a limiting belief? Is it is it just are we doing it for us or are we doing it for her? We believed that it would be when she gets older, she's gonna look back on this time and think, you know what, that was pretty cool. It was hard when it was there, but it was. I think I think she's gonna look back. She's already starting to go, mm, you know, Miss Bali, you know, like. But so that was a limiting. Belief. Was it was it the right move as a family to go and? To do it rather was it just for me and my wife or was it for the family and i now we don't regret it It was the best two years of our life because i've been with my wife since i was um 17 we first kissed at high school and i'm 52 now right and so been in the business a long time <laughs> been with the same partner for way more than i haven't been um so we just had to have the limiting um i guess get over the living beef that it was that it was going to be for our daughter as well was the main thing Nice. What what were some of the biggest challenges that you faced whilst like throughout that process? Moving to Bali, managing the business from a remote location, new different cultural norms. What were some of the biggest challenges you faced, and how did you overcome them? The heat. <laughs> the heat was a killer, right? As my wife said, um, 
she found she started sweating in places she didn't even know existed. Um, uh, the challenges, I guess, was uh, sometimes the 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 the, well, the time zone wasn't that bad. The, the having some clients that like I didn't I didn't when I did it. This is I didn't come out and say I'm going to live in Bali. It's all my database, right? I didn't. I, I felt that they wouldn't understand that that how could you run a business remotely? This was before COVID. So, you know, there wasn't a huge amount of people running staff for 50 from a remote place, right? So I, I like some of my clients, I didn't, um, I specifically didn't want to tell. I never told anyone like that. You didn't, I didn't have to. But I, if you ask me, the true strength of running the business remotely is it shows that you've got good systems in place, right? Um, if you have to, I, I saw when I was, um, when I was about 21, I was a seminar junkie and I saw and I saw a guy by the name of Brad Sugars on stage, and he said something that really struck with me. And he said, "He said if you have to get up at seven o'clock every morning and go to your office and come home at seven o'clock every night, you haven't got a business, you've got a job. And who wants a job, right?" And I think there's, there's certainly some truth in that. Um, so I wanted a business, not a job. So I made that happen. So okay, so that's awesome. So what I want to know now is now that you've kind of proven it to yourself, right? So you made the changes in the business. You've already done the, hey, we can go do this thing from anywhere. What what has that unlocked about your life now? How is that changing how you're living your life today? And then how are you thinking about what lessons you can take from that experience and, and layer them over the future? What are you doing now to sort of create that life by design? Well, it's a bit trickier now because, well, I've got a beautiful life, by the way, uh, where, where I live. I've got a beautiful family, beautiful house. Uh, I, I, have a, I have a wonderful life. Um, but in terms of doing that again, we 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 well, my wife my wife wrote a book about this Bali journey called Our Green Change. Um, and so what we're thinking next is my daughter wants to go to Oxford and she wants to study history and she's quite smart so she might get in. And so we're like, well, what's it? People are asking my wife, so what what are you going to write next? And um, so we're thinking that when if she does get into Oxford, we might try it in Europe and we should write a book called Our Gap Year. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and we'll have a gap. We'll have a couple of gap years over there. That's that's. Uh, and now that we've done it, right? It's it's a bit of a bit trickier Europe, the time zone. Um, but it can be done. You know, I think it could be done. So that would be that would be my next ultimate goal. To be honest, living a couple of years in Europe and still running the business from Portugal or something like that. You know, mm. I've actually been looking into that uh, recently. So I've been time zone mapping and also climate mapping. So um, <laughs> trying to match up. Okay, because I hate cold weather. I, I'm just, I'm not that into it. I've spent a bunch of time in the UK, don't like the cold weather, not into it. So I'm kind of like, all right, where is where is sunny and hot? And also what are the time zones? And the worst, the worst or the most difficult or challenging um, kind of time zone, I think is kind of along that west coast of, uh, west coast, east coast of, um, of the US and in the Caribbean. If, for me, I like to get up early in the morning. So you would have to work late at night to kind of make that, make that work. But Europe actually kind of seems to work pretty good. If you can get up early, which I love getting up early, if you can get up early, there's enough crossover time um, that it can be, you know, wholly functional. So, you know, I've actually been eyeballing maybe going and t- spending spending a few months in Tuscany or something like that whilst running the, <laughs> well, <laughs> whilst running the business. Well, I just got back from um, Canada and uh, I had a client who is incredibly rich and they have these these. They sent me over to this is a, this is this doesn't happen often everyone this is a, this is a one off but he sent me over to they've got a five bedroom chalet in uh, Whistler so I had to inspect that which was and I so I stayed there for six nights then he sent me to this place called Revelstoke in Canada which is just beautiful 
Then we went to he had a house in Phoenix, Arizona, and so they sent us there. And he's got this $25 million uh, US house in Malibu. They had to go around and all inspect these properties, right? And it was doable. That time zone there is very doable. By the time, like, 4 o'clock in the afternoon there, it's about 7 or 8 o'clock here. Uh, sorry, 7 or 8 o'clock in the morning here. So you'd have the whole day out, then you just come back, and you can work a couple of hours and then go have dinner, come back if you want, and, 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 and finish what you did. It was perfect. So that's a very, that's a very doable time zone. Yeah, west, yeah, west coast of the US. I, I like it. I like it. I was recently spending a bit of time in San Diego and stuff like that, and I was like, this is great. I've got the morning to just... You know, for me, focus on deep work, just uninterrupted type stuff, and then a few hours of meetings in the in the afternoon. It was it was it was great. Talk to me about talk to me about the book, uh, the Green Change. So your wife Sandra uh, wrote that book. I'm sure that you you've at least got a few mentions in there yourself. What's the nature of the book? What's it about? Why should why should people check it out? Okay, so well, the nature of the book is about our journey um, through from well, the, the title is a journey to green school, Bali and beyond. Um, the name, well, what happened was she was right. She's a very good writer, beautiful writer. Uh, she was writing a lot of long-form Facebook posts um, and she would get so much traction from them while we were over there. And it'd be the, more about the cultural side of Bali, not just like... So we, we, we lived in a little village, in um, a, new, a traditional village called Nukuning in Bali, um, which is near just off the side of Ubud. I don't know if you've been there, but it's, you should check it out. It's a really beautiful little um, cultural village. And so the book is about the journey to green school, but also the cultural side of, of Bali because we were pretty much um, in, embedded in that in the, in the village that we lived with. So it kind of, kind of shows the other side of Bali. You know, when I was living there, I read a lot of the books about Bali, and it's all about the underbelly of Bali, the drugs in Bali, all this stuff, right? There weren't a lot of books about, well, I've lived here for a couple of years and I've learned Bahasa and we're going to this green school and, and um, there was nothing out there. So I think it's a pretty fascinating journey um, or book that she's written about it. What... Have you? What did you learn from the Balinese culture that's that stuck with you today? What what has changed after being embedded in the culture for two years? What have you taken away? They're beautiful people. the The ceremonies were, you know, we got invited to funerals and um, the, the amount of ceremonies that they do, the respect they have, the the, the smiles, you know, like we had. Um, I've got I made more Balinese friends over there than I did Western friends for sure. And I'm still friends. Like that they suffered big time during COVID, obviously though, which is really mm-hmm. sad. And, you know, like I don't know they we we help some obviously, but you can't help them all. You know, this so it's, it's very sad that, you know, like they didn't have jo- like job seeker. There was a there was a job seeker over there for the Balinese, but it was only if you were employed on the books, right? But a lot of Balinese, as you know, it's all just cash, right? So they suffered there. Um, but what I learned about the cultural side, um, well, the I guess the beautiful nature of the Balinese. I don't know how more to describe it, but they're, they're well, what have so you taken away? Is there anything me. that is there anything that you and your family living back in Sydney now that something that you've taken away it could be an appreciation for something or don't some take kind of for granted? You know, you just don't take things for granted. You, you, we are so lucky. Everyone, you know, we are wealth. This like the the the. the the insane wealth that people have in Australia compared to the local Balinese, where the average wage is one hundred dollars, should not be taken for granted by any Westerner. You know, like it's um, and how they can, how they can, still be so happy all the time when even though they, they, they just walking down the street in this little village, we were, the amount of people that would say hi, to, like wave to me, and so I, I would know because I guess you are standing out because you are a Westerner. If you're li- if you're living in that little community, right, um, you do stand out. But they're very very welcoming and. Very quick to tr- test me on my behalf. So let me tell you, 
<laughs> yeah, for sure. I bet. Did you? Are you learning? Are you learning Bahasa? Look, we started learning a bit of Bahasa, but here's the here's the challenge that we've had. So I've lived in other countries. So when I lived in Vietnam, uh, nobody was speaking English, so I learned Vietnamese pretty quickly. Uh, the challenge that we've got is nobody speaks Bahasa to us anywhere we go, and so it's very hard to kind of like integrate that. And it actually makes it a little bit more difficult. And we've been traveling quite a lot. So in the last uh, in the last six months, we've been in a different country roughly every three weeks. Now, the different country can be the same country multiple times. So Bali a few times, Australia a few times, US a few times. But we've been moving around quite a lot. And so unfortunately, it hasn't bedded in as much as I would, would have uh, would have liked. But it's definitely something that, something that we're working on. One of, one of the things that I really like about this experience for me is the the capability to make a difference and make an impact my, from my perspective. You know, the, the fact that you can actually have an impact on a community and an impact on people's lives and actually do meaningful stuff. I mean, if you bring your money into the country, that's a pretty that's a pretty cool thing to be able to do and to be able to spend that um, wisely and and ethically and, and make an impact. So yeah, I, I'm I'm loving that capability of it and. My experience with uh, all of the people here is is phenomenal. You know, they're just so optimistic and, and friendly, and and you know, all we can do, the best we can do, is to is to try and emulate that back to them. I think so. When we when we went to the to the grade school, they they have like orientation day, um, and they they said to us, you know, it's expected that you employ people, right? We thought, oh, it's a bit weird. There's like three of us. Do we really need someone to come to our house four hours a day? And they said, well, it's actually as a Westerner, you living in Bali, it is expected that you do that, and I. Oh yes, like, and I agree. I, and she's ended up being one of the most beautiful friends of ours that uh, that we you know message every every week at least. Um, and so we're going back in in October. We 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 oh, we went back just after COVID ended, and you know big reunions was fantastic after not seeing them for two years. Yeah, nice, nice. Yeah. So we we feel like we have a Balinese family and an Australian family. Nice, love it, love it. So talk to me then about um, the. You mentioned just before we started this that there was an interesting story you had with Harry Trigoboff. Now, one of the things interesting things about that is that <laughs> I think based around the idea that not everyone would appreciate and understand what the hell you were doing moving to the jungle <laughs> in Bali. Do you want to talk? Do you want to talk to me about that uh, that experience? Well, so Harry's been a client of mine for twenty five years. He's actually one of the first clients I had. At one point, Meriton represented about ninety percent of my turnover. Goes <laughs> not a good not a good business model, um, and so. And now he's like way less than that, that five cent. Um, and but I didn't, couldn't tell Harry that I'm going to Bali. Look, Harry never ha- doesn't have a computer. He's never had a computer on his desk. It's all about you know if I can buy land for 100k, build it for 300k, sell it for 800k, the site works. That's all he needs to know. So it's not like he's Facebook messaging or me. Or so when I went off to uh, he's old school, right? He's, he's he's the definition of old school. He, me, I said to him, look, Harry, I'm just going to run this business. We're looking after all your clients, the appreciation reports from a Bali school in the jungle, it wouldn't, I don't think it would have cut mustard. He wouldn't, he just wouldn't get it. So here I am at the greatest school in the world and Harry has to have a meeting with me. I'm like, well, I can't, he's not a Zoom kind of guy, you know. <laughs> so, I, so here I'm at the greatest school in the world and I had to fly back to have a meeting, which is not the best thing for the environment, to have a meeting with Harry. And, and I didn't mention, I didn't mention, of course, um, where uh, where where I was. And, oh, yes, I'm just, yeah, you can't do that. So, so luckily I managed to escape um letting him know some one time i think i was i i, I just avoided the meeting um but you know the funny thing about him when i was when i was about 30 harry knows more about tax depreciation than any developer in australia i guarantee it right he when i was about 30 he would he read my when my book first started, i was about 
40. He read my book. Um, and he then, he, he, I know, and he read my book. He actually, he actually wrote on the back of it. He said, I made up my mind to work with Ty when I saw him. I never went to another quantities man. I never regretted it. Harry Triggerbob. Um, and he, he, after he read the book, every week, because he'd get me in, I'd get summons into his office, and he'd just have a five-minute meeting with me and say to me, tell me something new. Tell me something I don't know. And I, <laughs> after 50 weeks, I'm running out of tricks, Goose. <laughs> you know, but that's the type of guy he is. He just knows every facet of development more than well that's why he's worth 26 billion right he just he knows more about depreciation as i said than anyone i know um i'll tell you another funny story once i went to a meeting with with him and he had this big red eye massive red eye right i said what and the meeting ended and i said to the salesman i said what happened in that meeting why why is why is his eyes he goes well the meeting before you he got so angry he went, ah, you dumb schmuck, and he stabbed himself with the pen within the meeting. <laughs> and it went all red. I know, but he does, he, he does get uh, boisterous, let's put it that way. Nice. Mm. What are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned either about business or about life from your relationship with Harry Chugaboff? Well, um, what have I learned from him? I guess that's one of the things I've learned is to know all the business that you involves in every facet of the business. Like, I know about as a CEO, I'm sure you're the same. You have to know everything. You are the you are the lawyer, you're the marker, you're the accountant, you're the Google AdWords expert. Whilst you can outsource it, this stuff, right, you have to know about that business in order to uh, not have the wool pull over your eyes. That's what I think he masters, right? So if you just say, here you go, give me, give me a um, SEO, I just employ an SEO expert or an AdWords expert, right? You have to know about that as much as them. You don't have to do it. But if you ask me, you have to know about that as much as them so that you are not getting the wool pull. What is it? The wool pulling over your eyes. Or the wool you have to know what good eyes, looks right? like, right? Yeah. You have, you to, have to know what good looks like. You have to know what good looks like. And, you, yeah, and you, have to, you have to understand it. So you have to do your own research into these topics. Like I personally prefer to try it, to, to, to set up an AdWords account myself to run it uh, and then say, okay, now you do it. You master it. You do better than me. Rather than just going, here you go, get an AdWords expert because you won't, if you don't know how to have the back end, what there's, what a cost per conversion means or how you can improve it, um, what a broad match is, what a phrase match is, exact match, all these things. Um, a, Google will, someone like Google are pretty quick to find a way to take your money, if you ask me, and so are some of the AdWords and SEO companies. So you have to know that kind of stuff if, um, if you're running a business. Like even with accounts, you have to know, how, you have to know what a P&L, how to read a P&L, you know? So you have to know lots of things and he, he taught me that. Yeah, nice, nice. That's interesting. Yeah, he's definitely a, a, a unique character, and it's uh, it's it's pretty cool that you've had the opportunity to have a such a long long relationship with him and, and pull some of that stuff out. Yeah, no, it's great. It's great. He's ninety one now, I think. You know, talk about the definition of optimism. He just sent us a site the other day. I think he's going to go for ten years, and he's ninety one. Wow! <laughs> wow, that's awesome. That's awesome. So. Yeah. He's obviously, yeah. He's obviously making decisions that are that he's he's you know. They're, they're just, why do you think it is that at ninety one he's still going in the game? Why hasn't he given it up? Why hasn't he walked away from? It? What's your opinion? I talked about I talked about that the other day to someone. Um, the challenge. I, I still, if he stopped, there's no way. Like he would you know, probably pass away quicker than if he continued working. He he gets up even during COVID. He went to the office every day. He's, you know, you'd think at that, that age you'd be worried about COVID. He went to the office every day, right? And I think he made some of his most of his staff go in the office as well. So I think he he gets he just helps the challenge goose. Like when you're twenty six billion, like you know you don't need the money, do you? It's um 
It's just I think he just has he's just constantly thinking about what how do I improve? What do I do? What how how can I make things better? You know, he's all, he's even now he's still complaining about you know um, facade upgrades to me the other day, and I'm like, Harry, <laughs> it's okay, it's okay, you know. But I, yeah, I truly true believe if he if he if he stopped, he would. Um, but I think I I think there's something in there. Like we all need something, don't we? There's studies that show that the moment that you are taken out of um, uh, out of community or don't have something to do, the faster you will decline, right? It's so about having friends, and in, and that's what they say that golfers actually live longer because they actually have to get up and they a the exercise, uh, but b also having that community that, that like minded people walking around with you actually gives you something to do. The moment that you seem to not have something or a purpose, you seem to yeah, go down faster, don't you? So maybe, yeah, I think that's definitely it. Yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting insight as well. Okay, if you could wave a magic wand. And remove I like all your questions, the- by the way. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. If you could wave a magic wand and remove all of the current constraints in your life, and you may have some more than others, but things typically time, money, obligations, these kind of things. If you could wave a magic wand and remove all of the current constraints in your life, what would you do? That's a good question. I'm just kind of doing now. I really love my life, Goose. I, 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 I've done. I've been to like fifty countries. So it's, travel is is you know most people would say travel or or. Um, I don't know, have relationships. I've got a beautiful relationship. I've got a beautiful daughter. Travel the world. Um, there's nothing really. I I do think of that. Like, what what next for me? Right? You're 52. What what next? And you do start to. I have been thinking that lately. I don't know the answer yet, though. But I, I'm I'm I definitely. Well, that would be in the next challenge. Would be to live in Europe. That would be definitely the one that I I want to. I, I I did love living overseas. I did love living what you're doing now in Bali, and I. I think that would be the next challenge would, for me would be to go, bing, I want to live a couple of years and run the business from Portugal. I'll see so much of the beautiful Europe that I've seen a lot of it, but there's still lots more to see. Mm. Yeah. You get to go deeper when you spend a bit more time there. So it's one thing to travel there. It's another thing to go and actually sink some teeth in. What's stopping yep. you from doing that now then? My daughter. No, she's in high school. She's, she, I think the, the, with the green school, the green school is fantastic. Um, but it doesn't give you uh, the ability to enter into university. Sydney universities in Australia don't wouldn't recognise. They don't they don't have a HSC. They don't have like a HSC exam. All the kids there do what they do like a TED talk, um, which are which are fifteen minute TED talk as their final presentation, which they work on all year, right? Uh, and these kids are the, the kids that stay there the whole time. They're brilliant. Like they might not have they might not get a, a TR, and but I'll tell you what, employment wise, you'd want to employ them. They are the best public speakers in the world. They learn they're, they're so dynamic as a community when they've been there through the whole whole time however so yeah i'd employ it the kids there i'd employ it um but my daughter she's probably more focused on the academic side she likes the challenge of marks and exams and stuff like that and she wants to go to oxford and the group they wouldn't go in there so i think it'd be i think it'd be selfish of me and my wife to say look we loved it we want to stay there but it'd be selfish of us to put that on her and not give her the opportunity to choose the path of education that she wants to go down into the future and green school would limit that and there's no denying that um so that's that's but and that's that's for her but I, once she turns 18 all, all bets are off <laughs> nice nice so what advice would you give to other entrepreneurs or other people in general who want to create a life by design in the way that you have and are perhaps scared fear of failure you know just like not able to take that next step what advice would you have for people to help them break through that 
and to create the life. You've, you've created a life that, you, that you're living on your own terms in your own way and you seem very happy with it. So what advice would you have for other people on, on the topic? Well, firstly, let, let me say that I'm not, I'm very lucky to be in the position that I can do it, right? That you, know, you, you have to have some money to do it. You, if, you're, if you're in a job where you're, so don't take it for granted is what I'm trying to say, that I could do that, right? Same with yourself. I'm sure you, you, know, you, you appreciate what you've got and you've got to live that moment to do it, right? Um, however, it's also more doable than you expect, right? So especially now the way the world's gone up. So it is very doable in terms of the uh, internet over there, the backup systems that they have in some of the WeWork type places, Outposts, I don't know if you know that one, but there's a lot of, out, there's a lot of um, uh, communities where you can go and work in these beautiful air-conditioned offices and, and do it. So my advice would be it's doable. There's a whole, there's a whole digital nomad community that go from like Vietnam to Cambodia to, to Bali. Um, and I, if I was younger, if I was like, 25 or 30 i'd be what a what a what a way to live just working um do it traveling like that not so when i was young i was backpacking but i wasn't working there was no there was no internet back when i was 20 so you to be able to do that now is very doable like does people don't you don't know where people when you get on fiverr or do or employ someone on upwork you don't know where they are you know <laughs> you can you can uh, you can you can you can live a beautiful digital nomadish life these days and, and more doable than you expect there's actually at the green school. Whilst it's 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 expensive, there's a lot of single bums there as well. So they, they you don't have to. Whilst it's um it, it's obviously a private school, it was um it's less than what it costs to go to school here. And at, at the green school, the class would only have like fifteen students, but three teachers. So you're getting a lot more bang for your buck than you would would be here. And then, and as you know, the lot the the cost of living in Bali isn't as high as bloody Sydney at the moment. That's for sure. Yeah, that's for sure. And it, I, an interesting thing about that is a lot of people think about digital nomads and they think, oh, yeah, it's cool if you're sort of like in your 20s or in your 30s and you're probably single and you're traveling around, laptop lifestyle, doing that kind of stuff. But you you were able to effectively do that. You know, you went to a place for two years, but you were still effectively able to create that structure in your life with a decent-sized business and a family and all that kind of stuff. And so it goes to show that you can also... You can also have a, a decent sized business. So, you, know, you can also have a big business and still do it. So it's not just something where you're like, okay, I'm just going to become sort of some, you know, footloose and fancy free person doing, you know, part time little bits and pieces of work on on Upwork. You can run a significant business whilst doing that as well, which I think is pretty pretty awesome. What do you think? Yeah, I oh, well, I, I I lived it. I loved it. Um, I wouldn't change what we did forever. Uh, but I guess you can do it if you have that man- the right structure in place. It really is. Ha- and also, I guess I'm really lucky. Well, I guess you make your own luck a bit, but I have a really good team of people that, that are at the high level that have been with me for a long time. So they know the business. They've built the business with me, and that really does that, – that helps. It also helps that the business that we're in is is not something where you have to – like a mechanic where you have to fix a car on the spot or you're a carpenter where you have to build here, right? It No one – no, I, I can't remember the last time, Goose. So you really need a business where people don't have to come to you as well, right? So I don't, ha- no, I can't remember the last time that someone said, "Oh, hi, my name is John Smith. Can I come and see you and and have a sit down meeting with you and talk about your uh, my my building that I want you to work out what the construction cost was?" Doesn't happen. And even if it did, I say no. <laughs> it's, not the, it's not the business that we we want to create. We don't. We're not a shop front type business, and so you kind of need that business. So. So it is doable. Like accounting firms could do it. If you're like, there's no like, when was the last time you actually went in and saw your accountant? You know, or, or um, even legals. Legals. I don't go and see my lawyer. There's a lot of professional service businesses that could 
work remote. Yeah. For sure. yeah, it's interesting as well. Learning to say no so that you can stay aligned with the vision that you have is probably one of the most important things. And I remember uh, relatively early on when we were still, uh, you know, we, we're still growing Dashtop, but early on when it was kind of like me and Gabby and maybe like one or two other people and I was still taking all the calls and doing all the stuff. And I remember there was, uh, there was, there was several times where people who seemingly may have been, you know, you know, bigger clients for us, but they were like, you need to come and kind of, I, I need to meet you face to face. We need to do an in-person meeting. And I was like, sorry, but we don't do that. And if that's not okay with you, then that's cool. We're just not the right fit, which was tough. <laughs> Ridiculous. No, totally. like, it's, it's like, you're like, oh, don't, 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 I need your business. I need your business. Yeah. 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 It was, it was far more important that we made sure we maintained the vision of our, of our life. Final question I've got for you. If you lost everything, right? No Washington Brown anymore. No nothing. You lose all of the wealth that you've you've created. You've got like your kid, your family's still there. So let's not get too macabre about the kind of scenario. But you lose, <laughs> you lose you lose everything. No one knows who you are. You don't have your Rolodex. You don't have your reputation. Go back, start again. You're 20 years old. What would you diff- What would you do differently or the same? Would you try and create the same life that you've got, or would you try and do something differently? And what would you do? Okay, so I guess the oh, I I'd try and it, it, look. You know what? When I, I I've done a couple of marathons, right? And I and I um I used to run along because I started with nothing. My father lost all his money, and so in a property deal, and so I um didn't start with anything. I used to and I started with nothing. I said, here I am volunteering for God's sake to work at Washington Brown, and I used to run along here where I live in Clavelli, and I used to run along this. And I used to look up at these houses. You go, man, one day I'd bloody kill to live here. And I do, and so that's what I, I, I'm really that that I, and I never forget that. Um, what I would do is probably, it, I guess the tools are different. So it's, it's looking like when I was 20, as I said before, there was no internet, so I couldn't have even dreamed of doing what you're doing or what I've just done. That would be like something from the moon. You know what I mean? Like there was mobile phones. So let alone having. What if it was today? What if it was today? What if you lost everything today and everyone forgot who you were and everything like that? Same technology exists and everything. Like, would you try and rebuild what you've got? Would you tr- would you try and build something different? Oh no, I love what I do. So I'd try and build exactly what I've got, the lifestyle I've got, the the business that I have, and the friends that I have, and and the staff that I have. It would be, it would. I wouldn't change that for anything. Yeah, no. I, there's nothing. There's. I guess no. There's nothing I'd change. There's nothing I'd change. Nothing I'd change. I'm happy. Love it, Tyrant. Thank you so much. It's been a really good chat. Appreciate it. Thank you. I love it. Thank you. Speak soon.